Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1, these are the words of God. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now listen to this verse 8. It's really important. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. God's, um, God's decree in Romans 13, God's plan here in Romans 13 is for us to understand authority. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look again to what it means to submit to authority, what it means to hupotasso, that's the fancy Greek word for it, uh, to submit to authority. But I'm going to highlight two really important questions that I posed last week, but didn't have a great deal of time to work through. And those two questions are as follows. The first one is this, what do we do? when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good. That's a real thing. Uh, I believe that as Christians, we recognize this to be a problem in our culture today. Uh, We are standing for the principles of God's word. We're standing for the statutes of God. We believe in in God's definition of marriage. We believe in, in what sin really is as defined by God. And in light of that, we are, uh, in our culture, we are being ostracized. Do you know this? We are being ostracized. It is, we, are, uh, we are looked at funny by our culture. And, and although it's, uh, it's not uh, being abused or beaten or burned at the stake, it is a form of persecution. It is something we need to understand. But God's word gives us very clear instruction on what we're to do in light of this situation. Even though uh, authority is to punish evildoers and to praise those who do good, Uh, We have to answer the question, what do we do when authority punishes both evildoers and those who do good? How many of you know that we're still putting murderers in prison? We're still punishing evil. Don't miss the point. Don't think that the culture's just gone completely off the deep end and it's flipped around. We're still doing uh, some 
correct things or some right things. The problem is, is that we're also seeing a lot of persecution uh, of Christians. It's actually in some countries, persecution, the last headline that I read was that persecution was reaching uh, epidemic proportions in certain countries. These, these people are being slaughtered for their belief. And so question number one is what do we do when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good? And then question number two is this, what do we do when authority asks us to do something antithetical or, or contrary to the word of God? And it's really important that if you're going to write down these questions or you're going to ponder these questions, that you understand they are independent questions. They are independent questions. We often think that what we're supposed to do is the answer to question two when we're actually facing question one. I'll explain this further in just a second, but let me recap those questions. What do we do when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good? That's one question independent. The second question, what do we do when authority asks us to do something opposite of what God has commanded us to do? That is an altogether Different question. Authority, as we see it, is a very interesting uh, bird. It's an interesting thing. What we see from verse 1 of Romans 13 is this, that God is supreme authority. He is the governor or the authority over all things. It says there is no authority except from who? God. So how is he supreme authority? He's the one who establishes authority. So he is the one who passes down authority to all people. Therefore, God is supreme authority. But look what it goes on to say. As we, as we see um, throughout scripture, he gives that authority to other people. That is to say that the sovereign God of the universe actually gives Sovereignty, I know that that seems contrary to some people, but he gives sovereignty, he gives authority, and he gives control over to others. The first example of this would be in the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. God gives one of the few times that the term sovereignty is used in the Bible. Mind you, the term sovereignty is actually never used concerning God in the scripture. It's only used concerning humankind. But what we understand implicitly is that if God gives that sovereignty, he has to be sovereign. So we understand this, right? But in Daniel, uh, God gives sovereignty, the actual word sovereignty in the Hebrew, to Nebuchadnezzar. This is a pagan king. What is God thinking? But he gives sovereignty to Nebuchadnezzar. Guess what scripture goes on to say? He takes the sovereignty away from Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar will not do what God asks him to do. But finish the whole book of Daniel and you'll find out, finish the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar and you'll find out that God reinstates Nebuchadnezzar as sovereign. He gives him his sovereignty back once he is humbled and he repents. It's a powerful idea. So we see sovereignty in this situation. Uh, the second thing that I would draw your attention to is that God has given man sovereignty through choice. He has given each and every one of us the ability to make free choices. It is a powerful concept. Now, is God less sovereign because he does so? No. As a matter of fact, that free choice establishes his sovereignty. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And man 
from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but instead fulfills it, inasmuch as that the eternal decree decided not which choice a man should make, but that he should be free to make it. A God less sovereign, Tozer goes on to say, a God less sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be too afraid to do so. So we have a sovereign God who gives sovereignty to leaders. It's scriptural. We see it clearly in Nebuchadnezzar. God gives sovereignty to his, to his creatures. We see that throughout the pages of the scriptures. But here in Romans, what we see is he gives that authority to governing officials and then all other authorities. Look again at verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority, it doesn't say no governing authority there, but no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, and I love this statement because this is where we've got to, uh, to take a deep uh, breath and realize what God has called us to. He says, therefore, whoever antitossos or resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So this idea of submitting to authority, it's actually a challenging uh, issue. And, and the truth is that if I asked for a show of hands, how many of us struggle with submitting to authority if we're honest, we're all going to raise our hands. We just pick and choose sometimes which authority is easier to submit to and which authority is not. And therefore, consequently, we often uh, throw out certain authority that God has established in his word. God has established governing authorities. He has established men to be the authority in their house, to be heads of their house, and to lead well. He has established churches to be led by elders. He has gone down the list of how the authority works. And to submit to that authority is to submit to, submit to the good God who gave it. To resist that is exactly what I said. To resist it. It's to resist God himself. And so that becomes a challenge. Now, uh, again, submitting to authority is a challenge, and I believe it's a challenge based on these two questions. What do we do when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good? How many of you are happy to submit to authority when they treat you like gold? How many of you? Yeah, you're like, this is wonderful. Guess what that makes you? Normal. It makes you normal. How many of you uh, do not like submitting to authority when they're being mean, when they're being oppressive, when they don't like you on Tuesday, whatever it is? How, how many? Come on. Again, I, I asked the question before, and I knew that if you're honest, you'll all raise your hands. We struggle with this. Our challenge should not be in arguing who we should submit to. We should be challenged by the fact that we are called to submit, and how do we see that as good? How does that work out as good inside of our lives? 
There's two parties responsible inside of this relationship. There is the authority who has a responsibility by God, and God will repay them someday. But God has, has told them that they are going to be held accountable, strictly accountable, for how they choose to lead. And then there is the where, where we fall in in most cases, and that is how we respond to that authority. Okay, so we're going to walk through these questions. We're going to look at them uh, and try to answer them to the best of my ability from the text of Scripture this morning. Let's start at verse 1 and, uh, and walk our way through. Again, every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. How many every persons do we have in the room? Okay, nope, nope, I'm waiting until you raise your hands. Okay, every person's, you're not a person? Oh, this is a problem. So Ben Bird, th- look, at, look at this. this. This is not raising your hand, okay? <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. See, submitting to authority, it's a problem already. Anyway, so every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God who establishes authority, church, God, and those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers, I love this statement, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Last week, I shared with you that even as Christians, uh, this scripture tells us, it was written to Christians, it tells us that we're awaiting a, a condemnation if we disobey authority. But please don't mishear what I'm saying. This has nothing to do with your salvation. The context proves it. Again, what do you face condemnation from if you choose to do evil? The authority that God has established. Look at what it says again. It says right in line with this uh, that you will receive condemnation upon yourself. Verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for those who do good. Who is it referring to as the one who brings condemnation? Rulers here. Rulers are the ones who would bring condemnation. So if you don't want to fear, then be good. Do what is right. But for evil, that's who should fear condemnation, those who practice evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? What's your answer, church? Yes, you want to have no fear of authority. Do what is good. Well, there's the simple answer. Well, isn't that awesome? Okay, we're done. You guys can go home. Just make sure you do good. You see, our problem is we don't know how to do good. Ravi Zacharias is is quoted as saying this. I'm not sure. I can't find the record of when he said it, if he did say it. But it still serves as an amazing quote. And uh, according to uh, according to the internet, uh, Ravi Zacharias said that the reason we have 17,000 pages in our law books is because we can't follow 10 lines on a tablet made of stone. Isn't that a fantastic statement? But there's an implicit problem in this. There's a problem in this, okay? Let me read the statement again. The reason we have 17,000 pages in our law books is because we can't follow 10 lines on a tablet made of stone. The problem is we can't follow the 17,000 laws in our law book either. So do you want to know why that is? This is why verse 8 of Romans 13 is so vitally important. The reason why we can't follow 10 laws on a stone tablet or 17,000 laws in our law books or any man-made law or God-made law is because we can't figure out how to love. 
We do not know how to love. And I don't mean the cheap imitation of the world who accepts all things and just smiles even though sin is around. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13. I'm talking about love that is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. I'm talking about Romans 12, 1 through the end of the chapter, which communicates the practical nature of love. I'm talking about love, church. And the way this is established is that if we will owe nothing to one another but love for one another, if we will love our neighbor as ourself, we're doing good and we have no worry to be condemned by any authority. And this goes all the way down the line. It goes in the household, it goes in the church, it goes in the government, it goes anywhere you're at. If you will honor another person as more important than yourself, if you will love them the way God has called you to, I am not telling you you will not face adversity or punishment. I'm saying you will have no fear of it. Because it's not do you. It's not do you. So let's keep going in this, starting at uh, verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. What is? Authority is. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, be very afraid. Okay, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. I have no idea why that voice came into my mind, but it did. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. Please understand this. Authority bears a sword. We didn't come to Jesus, accept Jesus, become Christians, and now we face no problems. Authority is still bearing a sword. They're bearing a sword for a reason. Right? They're bearing... I love that laugh, by the way. Thank you. They're bearing authority for a reason. They're bearing a sword for a reason. So, if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear a sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God. Who is it a minister of, church? God. An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in... There's that word... Hupatasso. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. Tasso, again, recap, means an authority established by God. Hupatasso means to come under the authority that's established by God. And antitasso means to set yourself up above it. The greatest issue that we face inside of the church today is a bunch of Christians not knowing what it means to submit to authority because the world is looking at us and they, they view us as hypocrites. We look just like the rest of the world who thumb our nose at everybody who tells us what to do. We don't, we don't have any submission in our bodies and this is a dangerous place for the church to be. You know, the scripture talks about what the Gentiles did to the name of God in their world, and that is that they blasphemed the name of God. Please don't think for a second that as Christians, we can't blaspheme the name of God in the world. We can, and how we do it most clearly is when we do not submit to any authority whatsoever. And we say, I'm free, I'll do whatever I want. I, I don't know what this is. This is not what we see in the pages of Scripture. So verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, 
but also for conscience sake. Why for conscience sake? Because God is the one who established it. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Can I get a boo? Okay, but that's our problem. That's our problem. I know that certain monies in our taxes go to things that we don't agree with, but God has established an order and an authority and a rule, and they are for a purpose. They are for a purpose. Uh, at the end of this, I'm going to share with you a special, uh, a special reality that we have as Americans with regard to this. We are still called to Hupatasso, but we have a unique position as Americans, and I need you to hear it very clearly. So he says, there's taxes that have to be paid. For rulers are servants of God, and every time somebody of the opposite political party gets into office, you go, he ain't no servant of God. They are a servant of God. It doesn't mean they'll always do what is right, but they are a servant of God. Devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And last but not least, honor to whom honor. I want to take you to a couple other passages that are really going to help you see what we're supposed to see with regard to authority. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll turn a page and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is, a, this is an impressive verse that both of these uh, verses you should be familiar with. But starting at verse 13... This is the word of God again. It says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Read it again. Underline it. Every human institution. Whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. I said last week in passing that Paul and Peter, they never had it so good compared to us. They were, they were writing these epistles during the reign or during the time of a man, or at least in close proximity to a time, uh, to a man by the name of Nero, who again burnt Christians as torches in his garden while he threw a party. Please don't miss the authority, every human institution. This is in mind for Peter. This is in mind for Paul. He doesn't say submit to every human institution unless it's an oppressive American government or an oppressive ex-government or that government or this government. He's talking about the, one of the most hard times in human history as I see it. So he goes on in verse 15, and he says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. For conscience sake you should obey God, and for the sheer purpose of silencing foolish men. This is not to say that when we do good, fools shut up. It is, <laughs> there's nothing you can do <laughs> to shut fools up. What it is, is that when people are accusing you of wrong and all you ever do is right, they actually have no accusation that sticks. That's the context of what is being said here. So, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, act as free men. Because we're free. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor 
the king. Let's keep going all the way down to verse 23 because it gets really beautiful here. Servants must be submissive to your masters. So you see he goes to authority and he goes beyond just governing authorities. Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. I don't like this, Lord. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience, there's that term again, conscience, toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. I love this rhetorical question. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Do you know what he just asked there? If you're going to be stupid and you're going to keep sinning and somebody punishes you for it and you endure it, that's what you should have done because you did something stupid. You sinned, you get wrath. You violated God's principle, the sword has come down. What benefit is there if you endure through your sin? Nothing, but here's the beautiful one. But if when you do what is right... And everything goes perfect for you because you're doing what's right. No. If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, here we go, church. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this very purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, praise God. God, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. Context, healing of sins here. Remission of sins is the healing of your wounds. By his wounds you are healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Question number one, what do we do when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good? You keep submitting and endure. I don't like that, Nathan. Take it up with Jesus. I'm just telling you what he said to do. In this answer, it is not the answer to question number two. And I'll go ahead and give you the answer to question number two. Acts 5 tells us, if it is between obeying what God has commanded or man has commanded, we should obey God and not men. We see this clearly in scripture. But too many Christians employ answer two to question one. And that is, what happens when they punish you for doing good? Well, I'll do whatever I want. No, you obey God. What did God say? Submit. Hupatasso. This is hard. I'm looking at you guys and you're like, you know, you should have preached on mothers today. <laughs> right? But the fact still remains that the answer is that we should patiently endure. We should submit to authority. And guess who our example is? Jesus. Did Jesus ever do wrong? Did he always do good? 
You think that's the same, but I'm, I'm asking intentionally. Did he always do good? Yes, he did. Did he, pu- did he get punished for that good? Yes. He got punished for that good. And what did he do? Hanging on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And all we do as Americans is when we suffer for doing what is right, we say, revolution, change the system, break the back of this government, let's turn it all around. No, 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 no. Look like Jesus. Look like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me apart from the Spirit of God. I don't have it in me apart from the Spirit of God because I look at it and I go, this is not fair. And Jesus always is chiming in my ear going, when did I say it would be fair? All of these passages in Scripture show us what should we do when we face authority that that mistreats us. And the passage says, keep submitting. Keep submitting and show Jesus to people who hate you. Show Jesus. Why? Because that's the best testimony you got. Declaring Jesus? This is a big deal, church. This is a big deal. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is the great passage that has everything to do, according to most theologians, with with apologetics. But it has uh, something to do with so much more based on the context. Verse 13 of chapter 3, the very next page for you, it says this, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? And every one of us would say, apparently, people. Apparently, people. No, 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 listen. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Well, Lord, I want my blessed life now. <laughs> it's a little, little t- uh, play on the word, right? I want my blessed life now. Well, guess what? Suffering for the sake of righteousness is one path to blessing. I got a sign-up sheet in the lobby for it. It's really going to be good. This is what we're called to, right? And then verse 14, he says, But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Jesus tells us this same thing. You shouldn't be troubled. You shouldn't be troubled because he is overcome. He is on the throne, church. He wins, church. The next time we get to a presidential election cycle, the next time we get to some crazy issue that comes over the news media that causes us to despair, please go back to this and realize, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled, we win. We've already won. We are more than conquerors. Verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, I haven't figured that part out yet, but with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame because you silence the foolishness of ignorant men. Verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing 
what is wrong. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Every time we're told to submit, we're given an example. And you know who it is again? Jesus. Jesus, who went to a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Question number one, what do we do when authority punishes or mistreats both evil and good? We leave room for the vengeance of God. We leave room for the wrath of God. He says he'll take care of it. We're going to get there in the uh, coming weeks about what he says at the end of Romans chapter 13. But we wait for the wrath of God. We trust that God is still king inside of our lives. Uh, We endure through persecution. We endure through pain. We continue to hupotasso. Why do we do it? According to 1 Peter chapter 3, so that we can always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. Do you know that in the context of submission here, what is that? Oh, it's up here. Sean, that's an amazing song. Where are you? Can I slam this on the ground? I'm messing with you. Dismiss. Thank you. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Where is this passage about patiently enduring here? Yes, yes. Okay. Anyway. It's a pretty nice phone, Sean. It's just like mine. But anyway, so here's, here's the point. That what are we supposed to do when authority mistreats us or persecutes us? We leave, leave room for the wrath of God. We submit. The, the ticket to proper apologetics is having a measure of hope. The context says that that hope comes when we submit, even when we're mistreated. So we're submitting to authority, and authority is mistreating us because we're doing what is right, not what is wrong, what is right. We're doing that, and, and, and authority is mistreating us, and people around us are seeing this hope that we have. They're seeing that we're trusting in God and not the next political candidate to come along the line or the next news cycle to erase the problem that we've presented or any of those things. They, they look at us, and they go, oh, my goodness, these people really do think that Jesus is in control. And then they ask us and say, what is the deal with your hope? And our answer is Jesus. Our answer is Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, if we avoid authority and submission to it, we will never endure the persecution that comes from it. Therefore, we will never have any opportunity to show that we can press on no matter what, church. That changes how we look at how we're supposed to live our life. The answer to question number two, I've already answered it. I don't have to go in great detail. And what do we do when we're asked to do something antithetical to the, God, to the word of God? What do we do? We obey God and not men. Guess what you're doing in that context? You say, ah, but Nathan, you're doing what's wrong. No, you're doing what is right and you will be persecuted for it. The apostles were preaching the name of Jesus. They were declaring his name to the world around them. And the world said, how about you shut it? And the apostles respond back and they say, we obey God, not men. We obey God and not men. 
Now, I don't for a second think that this is easy. I don't. As I said just a couple of minutes ago, uh, it is not really in me apart from the Spirit of God. I struggle with this. I struggle with this because God is trying to uh, sanctify me. He's trying to mold me into his image, and I'm resisting at every turn. He goes, just trust me, Nathan, trust me. Trust me. So even as Americans, we have this unique position where we are called to hupatasso. We're called to submit. But our position is rather unique. So hear me clearly right now. All eyes on me. Clearly hear me. Americans, we are still called to submission. What I'm about to say doesn't negate that. But we have what I believe is the greatest government that man can have. And the reason why is because if we disagree with something, we can talk about it. At least for now. (laughs) At least for now. You know what the devil's scheme has been for quite some time? Using Facebook. (laughs) Can I have a hug? That was amazing. That was amazing. (laughs) That was amazing. Yes. Okay. Okay. What, do you know what one of the devil's schemes is? <laughs> right? One of the devil's schemes is this, and I need you to hear me because I know that I have both camps inside of this church. The devil wants Christians to shut up, never say a word about anything political, about anything in the world today, and just trust in the spiritual realm. Do you realize that that is the third main characteristic of Gnosticism, which was declared to be a heresy in the first century? It is not just spiritual things. You cannot be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good, no matter what a preacher tells you. If you're truly heavenly minded, you will be nothing but earthly good. But the devil has told us all to shut up. And you know what we did? We went, yes, sir. Why are we submitting to him? I don't understand. He's not an authority that's been established by God. He lost his power. Jesus is in charge. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That happened at his ascension. That happened at his resurrection. We don't have to worry about the devil any longer. But he's told us to shut up. As Americans, we have this amazing privilege. And that is, in anything that we want to see in our culture, we should start talking about it. We should look at ways of changing policy. We should look at ways of changing the school system. We should look at ways of of changing how the public views prayer and free speech and all of those things. We should not start fires and revolutions, but we should always be willing to go to that level and say, no, 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 enough is enough. Christians have sat silent for far too long. We need to talk about what we're dealing with. Guys, it's because we have shut up that the culture in the past 20 years has spiraled out of control. I'm homeschooling my daughters, and I don't care how hard it gets, it will never happen that I will send them to public schools. And listen to me, I'm not passing a judgment on those of you who do send your kids to public schools. But I already have a challenge set before me to train my children up in the way they should go with the influences of just the world around them. Why would I send them to where the devil lives? (laughs) I can't do it. 
I can't do it. I will fight for their education in my house. I will start a school if I have to, but I will not submit them to that. Why? Because it's all gone to crap. That's the King James. (laughs) It's all gone bad. We have got to fight the good fight, church. And as Americans, we're still called to hupatasso. We're still called to submit. But you know what? We have a privilege that many other people on the face of this planet do not have. And that is that we have a voice. We better be using it. It's the silence of Christians that have let this culture continue to erode. Sin by omission. What are we doing? We need to speak up. So, what a positive, awesome message, right? You didn't realize you were coming in to be told how to obey. But listen, if you really understand this message, it is glorious. It is glorious. When we submit, when we honor God, it brings joy to his heart and it goes well for us. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.